and welcome to the Christian Formation Podcast. I'm Raven, and I'm here with Andrew, one of our pastors at Providence Church. The goal of this podcast is to form disciples to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Today, we're discussing God and sin in the Old Testament. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I no longer have boycotted Starbucks. Wait, I don't think I knew that you did boycott Starbucks. Well, I think on another episode I said it was trash. Oh, wow. Right? Because I only like That does sound familiar now. Yeah. And I was kind of probably dogging on a lot and of you've coffee all, shops. I do kind of remember that. I think we got lots of emails of hurt people. <laughs> uh, wait, have you always not liked Starbucks? Well, no. So, yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't Interesting know answer. <laughs> but no, I definitely didn't ever really like Starbucks. Everything I got from there was bitter and gross and nasty, or it was loaded with sugar. And so I would only <laughs> go to Scooters, but I found a drink at Starbucks that isn't high in sugar, and I'm in love with it. What is it? Tell it's the people. <laughs> it's a chestnut praline latte with no whipped cream, still has the toppings on it, almond milk, and half the sugar. So only two pumps of the chestnut praline syrup. Wow. And extra hot. And, what an order. I know. Those things, I'm going to be honest, are the worst. I've gotten coffee for some people, probably you at some yeah. point. And <laughs> when they have the longest orders I in the know. world, it is so confusing. I know, but it feels so loving to receive one of those. <laughs> I Yeah, I'm shocked that they can do all those different orders. They just know it all. But yeah. Because I can barely get it out, much less put an order I in. I know, but it's true. Well, that's you awesome get the that same... you found one. Well, I do get the same thing every time. I was well, going to say, mostly. you pretty much get the same thing every time and at different coffee shops. I either get just an Americano or I get a caramel latte. You get an Americano? I didn't know yeah. that you, like with any flavoring? No. Milk? No. I mean, most often if I drink... <laughs> yeah, believe it or not. <laughs> uh, but most often I only drink black coffee. I mean, if I ever, okay. like... Most of the time that I drink coffee, it's like at our house yeah. or maybe in the office and it's just black. But the Americano is a little bit better than just a black like brewed coffee. Hmm. And if I'm feeling adventurous, I'll get a latte anywhere. I, I'm not a huge like picky coffee person. I can't, I'm not like, oh, I should, I, I don't mean picky like derogatory. I mean, oh, it just like, <laughs> I don't tell the difference that much. Like I can yeah. kind of tell between like, again, some black coffee versus others, but I yeah, I would go anywhere and get the same things. Yeah. See, I just started liking coffee. And you get it once or twice a day? No. Oh my word. No. I can't do caffeine very often, so I try to drink coffee at least once a month. Once a month? No way. Okay, probably three times. <laughs> a <Four>? month? <laughs> <laughs> once a month. That's not very often. You think I drink it more than that? Yeah. Yeah. It's because I just have been gifted so many coffees lately. I feel so well that's great okay hard pivot guys we want you to rate and review this podcast i'm coming in strong honored coffee talk right we would love to have you rate and review this podcast because we haven't said it very often but it is something that we want to be able to get out to more people and in order to do that we do need you to stop pause rate review it on spotify super easy just click the little stars on apple podcasts you can do that as well so wherever you're listening please rate it, review it, and share it with those around you so that they can better meditate on God and who he is. But today, we are discussing 
God and sin in the Old Testament. Dun, dun, dun. This is for sure one that they're going to want to share and send. Oh, and rate. for sure. Guys, we're talking about multiple wives. We're talking about lying. It's going to be so good. Yeah, well, let's get into it then. Perfect. In the Old Testament, we see that there are various righteous people who have multiple wives. And we also see a case where God allows lying. And so it kind of just made us have the question of, okay, is God overlooking sin, at least some sin in the Old Testament? And this is also a question that we've had a lot of viewers email in about, which I was surprised. I didn't realize so many people focused on the fact that they had multiple wives in the Old Testament and that was interesting to them. It does seem pretty confusing when you have a lot of, not even just like men or families in general, but like the main pillars of the faith have it. So like, you know, you have all these main men that we hear stories of growing up, whether it's Abraham or David and Solomon and all these different like righteous men in our minds. And then you read the stories and they seem very dysfunctional. Is it right to say even most often within the family? Like it feels like there's dysfunction all over, but it feels like there's a pretty strong thread through a lot of these guys with their family life is really dysfunctional. Like whether it's multiple wives or kid issues or lineage problems, doesn't that seem like most often the, the case? I mean, even David, didn't he compose a song about how he sinned with Bathsheba, killed her husband, all this stuff, but he basically did that to own kind of the sin. But I mean, that's dysfunction with a capital D, I feel like. Yeah. So I I guess is the question that we want to address then specifically that, like with these righteous people or righteous men, with some of those blatant sins or why God seems to overlook sin at times. What are we mainly addressing? Yeah, I feel like from the questions that we received, they were all about polygamy or the fact that righteous people had multiple wives. So I think that is what we're going to hone in on the most. Addressing polygamy. Yeah. Okay. Is that going to be the title for this (laughs) Maybe I'll change it. Addressing polygamy. But it also, for me, brought up the question of Abraham lying about Sarah and saying that she was his sister rather than his wife in Genesis so that she would be spared. So... I feel like it makes me want to be broad, but I feel like we're primarily going to focus on polygamy. So much family drama. I know. All right. Well, kick us off then. Get us a little bit of an understanding of the problem in the Old Testament. Like, Where where do we see some of this stuff or who do we see this with? We've kind of been talking about it vaguely, but what is the actual problem then that we see in the Old Testament stories? Yeah. So the first account that we even see of someone having multiple wives, well, let's back up a little bit. First of all, throughout scripture, when we see husband and wife in, let's say, Ephesians or in Genesis, where God is creating Adam and Eve, at least from what I was reading, those instances of husband and wife are singular nouns. They're not plural. It's not two fleshes. It's one flesh. And it is one man and one woman. So like Ephesians 5, 22 through 33, when it's talking about the relationship between husband and wives, it is talking about one husband and one wife. However, we see that the Bible allows polygamy in the Old Testament. It doesn't allows? specifically condemn it. Well, okay, so you mentioned Genesis, which even the Ephesians passage 
looks back to Genesis. And even there's a, I don't know the reference off the top of my head, but a couple of places where Jesus is talking about marriage or divorce. And he also quotes Genesis. So if we have Genesis as kind of our baseline, Genesis one and two, which Mm -hmm. we've been talking about a lot this fall, we have, like you said, Adam and Eve created to be one. So in Genesis two, at the end, God creates Adam and Eve, brings them together. And he makes a statement that a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to the wife. And these two now, the one man, one woman shall become one flesh, which gives us the definition and foundation of how marriage works in the world. One woman, one man becoming one flesh forever. Mm -hmm. However, we see people like Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, and others had multiple wives. And the first time we see someone have multiple wives is in Genesis 4.19. Is it Lamech or Lamech? How do you say that person's name? Probably Lamech. Oh, Lamech. Can you read that for us? (laughs) (laughs) I think you could just say Lamech or... No, I'm not going to read it. Okay, I already heard it. it. Okay, so in Genesis 4, it says, and Lamech or Lamech or however you're supposed to say it, took two wives. And then after that, we see Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, others have multiple wives. Solomon, for instance, had 700 wives and 300 concubines, as we see in 1 Kings 11.3. This is a little bit hard to understand when we see that the bedrock of marriage is between one husband and one wife, but this sin is somehow overlooked. However, there are other areas where we see God deal swiftly with sin. Yeah. I think the main one that we often think of is, yeah, I think it's Uzzah or Uzzah maybe where they're carrying the ark and God had told his people, you do not touch the ark. Like they had these poles that you carry it with and so they're carrying the pole as well. The ark is about to fall. And so this guy, he goes and he grabs the ark so it doesn't touch the ground. And God strikes him dead in the moment, like yes. right there. He strikes him dead because he touched the ark and he was not supposed to touch the ark. And God had no patience hmm. for him doing what he was not supposed to do. We also see a story like this in the New Testament in Acts. Uh, do you remember their names? Oh, yeah. Anaya, or Anaya Anias and Sapphira. Yeah, Anias and Sapphira. They essentially sell their land. They get all the money and then they keep some for themselves. But they tell the apostles when they give the money that they're giving all the proceeds to the church or the people. So they lie about it and God strikes them both dead right Deception. in the moment. No, yeah, no like yeah. patience, no grace. It doesn't seem like it's just judgment right away. So... You see some instances like that, and then you see where some of these men are taking multiple wives, which to me, I guess, feels worse than Uzzah touching the ark, Mm -hmm. right? Like, doesn't that just seem like you having 700 wives probably feels worse than him trying to make sure that the ark didn't touch the ground and trying to help it? So I think that that's where the problem comes in is, why is that so bad? And why does God deal so quickly with it? And then he doesn't with Abraham and Jacob and David and Solomon. Totally. Which I feel like diving into this, the answer that I found and kind of came up with as I was reading through and what feels like it's most aligned with God's character isn't an answer I really love. I <laughs> Well, tell us this bad answer that you have for us. 
So, well, I shouldn't say that. Scratch all of that. <laughs> no, you got to say it. You got to be honest <laughs> with the people. You have to say it. Because it is a good it. answer. I do Don't like it. Don't cut it out. Well, to say that you like it now. Come back? Okay. No. Well, I actually do like it now. So I know that goes against everything I just said. But essentially, I never really liked the thing of, well, that was just the times. Because if they say, well, that was just the culture, then you could have multiple wives. Well, I could say today's culture is to sleep around before you get married. That's just the culture. So that's fine. I don't love that answer because then people can extrapolate that to today and it's not helpful. I think that's true. But you do like that answer now? However, I kind of do like the answer now because I see why it was so important in that time for women and for God's protection of women. Okay. Explain that a little bit more. So... In that time, it was a patriarchal society. So unmarried women, most of the time, had to provide for themselves. Otherwise, they would be sold into slavery. They would starve. Got questions, basically talked about the fact that polygamy, although it wasn't great and not the best option, it allowed for women to be provided for and have some sort of protection. So even Solomon, having 700 wives and 300 concubines, that's still better than a lot of them ending up, you know, in slavery, starving. Mm. I mean, concubines, that is prostitution, but it's still a better life than they would have had on the street. So you're saying that if God primarily cares about protecting people, especially you see throughout the whole Old Testament, God cares about protecting those who are helpless or who cannot help themselves. Like he cares deeply about protecting them. That in this scenario... That could be a way that is not ideal, but still gets at the heart of what God wants to do. Exactly. And I think about God caring for women in other ways too. And we see this throughout the Old Testament. So in Genesis 38, there's a story of Tamar, whose husband was wicked and God strikes him dead. I actually think of that story first when I think of God striking Mm. people dead in the Old Testament. But he strikes him dead. And then, per God's old covenant, then, the brother or someone, another male in the family was supposed to marry Tamar to give an heir to her and her dead husband, essentially. But Onan was wicked and didn't want to give an heir to his brother. Because that splitting the family land or property or wealth Mm. amongst all these brothers. And so it's actually for his benefit if he doesn't do this, but it is his duty and his right because it's caring for not only her but his dead brother to keep having offspring so that they can have that land. But it comes at a cost to you, which is why he doesn't want to do it. Yes, exactly. And so he doesn't want to do it and he doesn't, but then God doesn't love that. So God strikes him dead. And I think that just reminds you further of how God's trying to protect women by having these laws in place, by essentially requiring that they're married or taken care of in the form of marriage. I do think that is a helpful point in a lot of these stories to see the heart of God because sometimes we can feel like he's just doing random things or even that the one you just gave of Genesis 38, it's called like the Leveret marriage law, which essentially is if let's say you've got four brothers, they're all married, one of them dies, the land that they would get, which would be split up, 
uh, now instead of being split up four ways, could be split up three ways. And that causes the wife to now not have any protection in that family household. It causes that brother to not have his name and line continue on, which is not good and not right but it is selfishly beneficial to those sons. And so God puts this law in place that protects people that are vulnerable now. So this Mm -hmm. guy who just died, he is actually in a vulnerable state within his lineage, which they cared a lot more about ancestry and like lineage than we do. So that might sound weird, but he's a vulnerable, his name and his line is vulnerable. The wife is now vulnerable because part of you know, for women, like you're saying, growing old is you need to be protected by either your husband or any children that you have. And so if they don't, this is a problem. So God puts in this law that can feel random for us, but it's actually really beneficial and helpful. And so I do think that when we read some of these stories, we have to keep that in mind that some of the laws or the way that God interacts with his people is often out of a heart to protect and to care for the vulnerable, mm. which I think can help make sense of some of this, like you're saying. Yeah. And so I think he does allow men to have multiple wives in the Old Testament. However, he doesn't allow us to do that today. Okay. I do think that all of that is true, but I do want to say one other thing about how, not for today, but looking back in the Old Testament story, how I also think while God is not condoning it and saying that it's right. He is, I think, using it like we just talked about for good and protection, which he does with all things. But I also think it's important to note that when the scriptures are telling us these stories, I think it is clear that they're not condoning it. Because some people might say, okay, so if God's using it to protect women or family lines, well, is that in a sense him saying this is right? And I don't think that's actually what he's doing. And I think part of the way we know that is by remembering our genre conversation. So all of these passages are coming in narrative. And narratives often do not just tell you black and white, this is right and this is wrong. Narratives describe that to you in story form. So maybe let's do this. Let me give you an example. If I were to tell you, I have this friend and he is really, really wealthy. He's an older guy. He's really wealthy, has this huge like company and estate. And during the last couple of decades, he actually start, you know, he was married, had one wife, had a couple of kids with her, stayed married to her, but they kind of decided that they would have like an open marriage. And so he married a couple other women. He had a couple other kids with them. And, you know, over the last five, six, seven years, those women actually really started to hate each other and get very jealous of each other. There's been a lot of conflict there. The kids are now all grown and the guy has a life-threatening disease. And so he's actually almost going to die or he's like preparing for death. But now he's got this huge estate and all of this wealth and the kids are fighting over who's going to get it. And everyone's claiming that their mom is the rightful mom. And it's basically turned into this massive mess where actually a couple of the kids even murdered a couple of the other ones because the conflict had gotten so high and they're trying to make sure that their line is the right one. And as he's getting close to death, his life is like a mess. Like it's just, Mm. you know, the wives are upset. He's not close to any of them. He's not close to his kids. The kids are fighting and he's basically nearing death and his whole life and everything he's built is kind of falling apart. Mm. Now, would you tell me that I am condoning multiple wives? I said that he did it and they were okay with it but I'm not condoning it, right? Right. In the story, I'm showing you 
how that unhealth is proving to be really negative and has some huge consequences. So I'm not telling you black and white. If I wasn't trying to tell you a story and I was just, you asked me my opinion of, is polygamy okay? I would then tell you, no, it's not okay. But if I'm trying to communicate via story, I may not say polygamy is not okay, but through that story I'm showing you, probably don't be like that guy. Like the things that he did caused all sorts of problems. I do think in some ways that is what the Old Testament writers are trying to do. They're showing you, so you brought up David before. So David has multiple wives, has the affair with Bathsheba, all this stuff. And while it's pretty clear at points that it's wrong, there's some points where it doesn't seem wrong. But as you read the story of David, you see him end up this really lonely, sick man He's got all these different wives and concubines with conflict all over the place. His sons not only hate him, but certain sons try to kill him. Certain sons try to take over his throne. Um, There's all sorts of conflict on who's going to be the next king. It's basically this entire mess because of his family life and Mm -hmm. all these wives. So I do think it's helpful, even if Genesis or 2 Kings doesn't give you the verse that says, do not have multiple wives, or God did not think Abraham was right in this. Read the stories, and I think it's pretty clear to see, yeah, this was not good. And the scriptures, which are first and foremost authored by God, is communicating to you, this is bad, and you should not want to resemble this. Mm-hmm, totally. Because Moses, as he's writing Genesis, is doing something different than David is when he's writing the Psalms, and then Paul is when he's writing Ephesians. So all those genres are different. And so where Paul is being more black and white and is giving you interest, because that's the genre that he's writing in, that's just not what narratives are trying Mm -hmm. to do. I think they are telling you it's wrong and that God isn't for this, even though he's using it and he is working through it. He's not ultimately condoning it because of the way that these stories unfold every single time. Like Abraham with multiple wives and multiple family lines, it's conflict and turmoil and people almost die. Jacob, like his family line is a complete mess and there's turmoil everywhere. David, Solomon, like he ends up, his sons ruin the whole kingdom of Israel. Like every single place where this happens, turmoil, destruction, and death follow. So would you say that polygamy in the Old Testament is still a sin? Yes, I think it is. But I think that God uses it just like he uses sin today that we do. And it may not be as overt as like polygamy, but all sorts of sins that we commit, God works for Mm -hmm. good. So I do believe that's true. And I do believe that God did work in that way to help protect certain people. But I don't think that him using brokenness and sin is him saying that that is right and good. That makes sense. Whereas the sin of Uzzah touching the ark or Onan being struck dead after he didn't want to give Tamar a child. I feel like those are different cases and God deals swiftly with them and kills them because they completely go against God's verbal command and God's holiness. Like there's a lack of reverence for who God is and his holiness in that. Well, and I do think to some extent it is, it's just an God allows sin for a while. We talked about this the last episode. He's patient for a while, but he we do not deserve him to be patient with our sin. So there are times where he strikes people or, and maybe it's not even just death, but very clear consequences come. Like for David, he 
has the affair with Bathsheba and God tells him that son is going to die because of your sin. Like there is real consequences. And then honestly, in the story, after that happens, after the David and Bathsheba thing happens, the rest of David's story actually gets pretty sad and not very good. Like the rest of his life is really hard. And I think that's consequences for his sin. So he maybe didn't get struck down that day. His son died and the rest of his life was basically all turmoil and trials because there are consequences to sin. And so, yes, God used all of that and he's always working. This is the beauty of God. Because if he didn't work within sin and brokenness, he would not work in our world. Like that is our world. So it's just his kindness to do that. But I think these stories in different ways are showing you there are real consequences. And whether that's your immediate death, whether that's living a life of sin and you know living in a spiritual death and facing separation from God forever, whether that's relational conflict or turmoil or other people dying because of your sins, all of that is showing these sins are not okay. God is kind to work in them. He's kind to allow you to repent, but there are still consequences for these things. And I think those are the stories that show you Maybe the outcome of God's judgment is a little bit different, but God still does judge sin. And even though he works in it, it doesn't mean that he condones it. Thank you for joining us today. The goal of the Christian Formation Podcast is to live all of life with the presence of God. And we do this through conversations about theology, culture, and stories. Please like this, rate it, review it, share it so that it can get out to more people. If you have any questions, email us at formation at providenceomaha.org. We'll see you next week.